this class, see, I'm going to go ahead and point out the focus of the class because a lot of times when you get to down to the nitty-gritty, the, the individual points of a class, you kind of lose the big picture. So let me just go ahead and give you the big picture right now, all right? The big picture of the class we're going to talk about this morning is how we are one body but many individual parts, and we are not like each other, and that's good. That's God-designed, okay? That's the whole idea. So when I get down to the nitty-gritty of the, the points of this class, uh, don't lose the big picture, all right? We want to always come back to that big picture. <clears throat> so we begin with our scripture, Hebrews chapter 12, and verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is the passage where we get down to the one body and many parts. I'm not going to actually read that part because that's the metaphor, that, that's the application of the point he makes before that. I want to focus on the point that Paul sets up before he uses that metaphor. Okay, so... 1 Corinthians chapter 12, someone read verses 7 through 11. I've got the mic here, so if you, if you can read for us, raise, a, raise your hand. Nancy? Thank you. Verses 7 through 11. Now to each one of the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given... Through the Spirit, the message of wisdom, to another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing by that one, by that one Spirit, to another, miraculous powers, to another, prophecy, to another, distinguishing between spirits, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. So the point here is, even though there are many different types of service, they all come through one Spirit or from one Spirit. It goes into different people, very different personalities, but it's all the same Spirit that's guiding these gifts. God has always used this approach with his people. He's never wanted a single personality type. Yes, Pam? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. God doesn't want a rubber-stamped type of personality. Do you, those who have been in the Church of Christ for many years will remember back in the 80s and 90s, I think it was, the Crossroads Movement um, up in Boston, 
um, the, the, the Boston church. How many remember, know what I'm talking about? Okay, a few of you do. Uh, a, a person from ACU, a professor from ACU went up there and did a personality study on the people involved with that Crossroads church. It was kind of a, I don't want to say a cult, but we went up, uh, the, our youth group that I was doing an internship with, and visited that church, actually, and sat up in the balcony of the, it was an opera house that they met in. It was really weird to have worship service with painted naked ladies on the ceiling. <laughs> but, uh, but and, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, meeting in a place other than a church building. What we found unusual was that the preacher called people. He didn't ask if they could keep us. He told them they are going to keep us for the night. It was, it was really kind of a one-man-down system. Sorry, I'm talking about this too much. The point is, the, the study that that professor did on that church found that they tended to have a single personality type. And they said, well, of course, it's Jesus' personality. We're all the same personality. Well, that's not a healthy church. Jesus didn't want everybody to be an eyeball or a thumb. Jesus has many parts, many personality types. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to, we're not going to look at one particular person in the Bible. Uh, by the way, that's, that's a cool picture of Jesus. It's made up of many individual pictures, and so I thought that was appropriate. But we're going to look, it's going to be kind of like looking through a photo album. Uh, those who are over the age of 30 may remember photo albums. <laughs> so we, we, you don't see them much anymore. But instead of, instead of one, uh, how many of you have photo albums at home? Okay, yeah, good. I'm, I'm glad, hey, great, you learned. <laughs> I'm glad that, that that registers with you because that's going to, that's going to be how we look at Bible stories this morning. Um, it, so we'll, it's just going to be kind of looking at photos and saying, remember when, okay? And we'll have, you'll, you'll probably have more memories than I come up with. And if you do, feel free to raise a hand and we'll be happy to make that part of our study this morning. So what we're going to do, I thought it'd help to, to really show the difference in personalities uh, is we're going to look at opposites, okay, or, or, or things that are at least very different, categories that are very different. You've got Jew and Gentile. Some were Jews, some were Gentiles. Jew, of course, is from the word Judah, okay, and it, it refers to the direct descendants of Abraham. Uh, Gentile is from the Latin for, it means of the family. It refers to anyone who's not a Jew, uh, anybody know what the modern Yiddish Jewish term for Gentile is? Goyim. Yeah, that's right. Goyim. Good job. Yeah, so, oh, of course you would know. <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, there's always this idea of us and them, okay? God sees that difference, and he doesn't call people to do away with that difference. He uses both. Now, we've got plenty of examples of Jews in the Bible that were used by God. What about Gentiles? Well, there's Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. You've got Rahab. She's a Canaanite prostitute. 
the Eastern wise men who correctly interpreted the prophecies, possibly even of Daniel. Tim went into that quite a bit with his uh, class series. Those wise men came to the birth of Jesus and saw the newborn Jewish Messiah. Then there's the Roman centurion. He was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. But he came to Jesus, I mean, came to a belief in Jesus with great faith. Um, and then there's Cornelius. He's another centurion who was baptized as a Christian by Peter and company. So you've got Jew and Gentile. Another set of opposites are the weak people and the strong people. In Judges, you, you find uh, Samson. He's one of the strong. Now, Hollywood has always portrayed Samson with Arnold Schwarzenegger type people, okay? It doesn't say anywhere that he was big. And I love to picture, y'all are going to laugh at this, and probably rightly so, but I like to picture Don Knotts when I picture Samson. <laughs> Just some guy that's scrawny, that wouldn't be able to look like he's, he's going to be able to stand up to anybody, and then suddenly he rips the gates off of a city wall. All right, when that happens, people don't give glory to the man. It's clear that he can't do such a thing. God must be with him. Okay, so anyway, that, that's what I like to picture. And then Gideon. Gideon was a very humble man. When we come to him in the first scene, we find him hiding in fear of the, who was it, the Philistines? But he, he was, uh, you would consider him a weak man. God used both of those people for his purposes to bring him glory. Now the kings there were some who were very powerful. Jehu. Je you may not know much about Jehu. I don't know why we don't talk more about him. He's one of the most fascinating people in the Old Testament to me. I, I picture Clint Eastwood as this guy. Okay, he's, he's just a, like when the word, 2 Kings 9 is where you'll find his story. When the word of God came to him and said, you're the next king, do away with the old king. All right, so you have Ahab and you have Jezebel. And so he, he goes into action. He says, okay, let's take out the trash. And so they go and they, they're going to do away with the bad guys. First order of business, the people come up to him. What do you have with peace? What do you have to do with peace? You know, in that Clint Eastwood kind of cold, icy stare. And so they join him in his rebellion. And so he goes and he... He shoots Jezebel's son, long shot, arrow in the back. And then, uh, who is on my side? And the eunuchs throw Jezebel down from the tower. He's, he's just that cold, calculating, kind of powerful guy. Um, that when he, you know the story of, of when he tricks the, the priests of Baal? He, he tells them, okay, I'm king now. Let's have a big celebration to Baal. We're going to worship Baal. All priests have to come into the temple, make sure there's not a one out there. If any of them miss this party, then you're going to be killed. So all the priests of Baal come together in the temple, and they put them in there, and he says, okay, lock the doors and kill everybody inside. And that's what they do. That's, that's, that's something the man with no name would think of. That's, that's like one of his tricks. So in Jesus' ministry, we have very powerful people, Nicodemus. He was a man of authority, religious authority, okay? He came to Jesus 
God uses Nicodemus to even speak to the Sanhedrin, people that no one else could reach. And yet Nicodemus had a way to speak to them. The widow who offered her last coin, we don't even know her name, but we don't have to. A very humble person, a very weak person in the eyes of society, did God use her for his glory? Yes, he did. So God uses all personality types. He uses male and female in Scripture. We've got plenty of male examples. Peter, for instance, in the New Testament. But also Lois and Eunice, Timothy's mother, grandmother. Judge Samuel. Judge Deborah. Okay? He uses both. Moses, his faith caused him to pray all night long, and God parted the waters. Moses' sister, that society would look at and say, that's not a very important person. She had the faith to pack a tambourine because she knew God was going to win and she knew they were going to need to celebrate. Okay? Um, you have adults and you have children. Abraham, he demonstrated faith. God could raise his son back to life. That's an adult that God is using. Abraham's son understand that he was old enough to carry that bundle of sticks for his own sacrifice. So he wasn't a little kid, okay? And yet he submitted to being tied up for that awful sacrifice. You have King David the adult, whose faith allowed him to defend Israel against army after army of enemies. And then you have the kid, David, the humble shepherd, whose faith allowed him to defend the sheep by grappling with a bear, grappling with a lion with his bare hands. You've even got human beings and animals, <laughs> very different types. Balaam's donkey, who spoke God's truth to a human. You've got the lions of King Darius, who kept their mouths closed, and ignored their hunger and allowed Daniel to live. That great fish who obediently swallowed Jonah just at the right time to save him and then obediently vomited him up on the shore. And then that worm who showed up on cue to eat that plant and cut it down. Okay, these are animals that are obedient to God. The foal of a donkey that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. The best way I can describe, I don't work with donkeys, but I understand foals who have not been broken are very difficult to ride. Uh, they don't want you on their back. Uh, I picture a dog and a kid going up to try to ride the dog. Okay? <laughs> it doesn't, it's not a natural thing. But this donkey, foal of a donkey, uh, allowed Jesus to ride him into the city of Jerusalem. Even plants. Okay, the fig tree obediently withered when Jesus told it to wither. So creation gives God glory by doing exactly what the Creator tells it to do. And all these characters, these photographs, bring to mind the rich diversity of people and nature that God uses to grow His people and to give Him the glory. There's not one type of person that God uses. There are many types of person. There's not one single gift that God gives 
to make sure people are obeying his word. There are many types of gifts. And so sometimes when we're thinking about people's personalities, we're tempted to think of them in terms of good and bad. Some people have good personalities. Some people have bad personalities. <clears throat> the truth of the matter is God gave us our personalities. It's how he made us. What you think about naturally, what you tend to do naturally, that's your personality. And that's given to you by God. So the fact is, when we look at people and we see their personalities and we think, oh, that's a bad personality, what we're really seeing is a personality given by God that's being used for selfish reasons. Okay? I'm going to give a few examples here. And you can all relate to these examples because you've all known somebody in your life that fits these personality types. The old sore head who he just, he won't listen to anybody's opinion but his own. Okay? He's always right, and you're always wrong. What is the personality that God gave him? It's a personality of stubbornness, is what it is. That stubbornness can be used to God's glory, believe it or not. You've got him, you know, the, the guy who's, uh, you're, you're wrong, you don't know what you're talking about, that kind of personality, let God get a hold of him. That person will discover that what God's given him is not wrong. It's just the way he's using it. Once you yield to God and allow him to reign in your life and tell you what to do and how to do it and what to say, then you begin to see ways to live out your personality in ways that will bless others. And the way the old sore head gets converted and turned around and transformed into something new is that stubbornness turns into the ability to endure hardships, the ability to go through life and not be broken down by what comes against you. That stubbornness to prevail in the face of the enemy, others will be blessed by that because you're not using it for selfish reasons, you see. You're using it to bless other people and to glorify God. Did you have a question over here? Who's got the mic? Yeah. Hang on just a second. We're going to get the mic to you. <clears throat> I guess you're saying that it'd be stubborn, uh, using it in the flesh. But if it would be used, used in the spirit, would be used uh, specifically for God's purpose, like you said. Mm -hmm. Because I guess I'll speak for myself. You know, the, a lot of things that I've done, in the flesh, but now that when I do things in the spirit, it's, it's a whole different outcome. I'm glad you said that. That's a, a really good way to, to sum up what I'm trying to say. It's doing it in the flesh versus doing it in the spirit. If you live out your personality in the flesh, you live it out for selfish reasons. If you live it out in the spirit, you live for God's reasons. That's really good. Amen. I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. All right, another personality, and this is really funny to me. Oh, yeah, Pam. Pam is not the personality, by the way. <laughs> She's just coincidence. I was just telling my brother-in-law, you know, because every time something bad happens, it brings me down. Mm. So I'm saying, okay, God, why didn't you bless me with that stubborn 
No. <laughs> character. That way I'll be stronger in mind and body. Yeah, exactly. You know, that way I can handle things that he gives me to handle. See, and some people in here have been blessed with that stubborn personality, and you would never know it because they don't live for selfish reasons. They live for God's reasons. Thank you, Pam, for sharing that. This next example I'm going to give is funny to me because uh, when I was talking to Sally about this point that I'm going to make in class, she came up with the exact same kind of personality and the exact same way God can use this personality. <laughs> so we, we harmonize well with that. The nosy gossip. Okay, the person who just can't keep from talking about others. And did you hear about this? Um, and by the way, it doesn't excuse your gossip if you say bless their heart. <laughs> it's still gossip. <laughs> so let God get a hold of that nosy gossip. And he understands that God made his personality work in ways that he sees into the lives of others. And he sees needs that other people don't see. And instead of sharing all the junk that's going on in that person's life with others, the person can share the joy of Jesus with that person. He can reach those needs of that person and really help the people that he would otherwise be gossiping about. So it's not that there are some personalities that are right and some that are wrong. It's that there are all personalities are God-given and people use them for the right reason or for the wrong reason. Now, please understand, I am not talking about lifestyle choices here. That's not a personality. If you've got somebody who is a pedophile, okay, that's not a personality. God did not give that person that personality because pedophilia is a choice when you come right down to it. It's something that somebody chooses. Alcoholism, even though it's an addiction, it's not a personality type. Even though it can be inherited, the, the tendency towards addiction can be inherited, it's still not a personality type because that's a choice of how to live out what you're, you're wanting, the, the animal part of you wants, the man that abuses his wife, okay? That is not a personality type. <clears throat> So I'm not condoning lifestyle choices. That's not what this is about. What I'm talking about is personality, the kind of person you just are naturally. If we yield that to God, he uses us like those in the photo album that we were looking at in Scripture, and we can use them as the cloud of witnesses to us to live out our personalities to God's glory. Remember how Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that you must have your minds transformed. You'll have your, your personality renewed. You won't be given a different personality. You'll be given a different mind to apply that personality. God gives you a heart of flesh to replace the heart of stone. And so you can live out your personality to his glory. So we're going to talk about two men in church history. Where's the time? We're going to talk about two men in church history that lived out their personalities to the glory of God, but they're very different. Psalm 19, I'm, I don't have time to read it, but Psalm 19 is all about the glory of God as seen in nature. 
It shines in different parts of nature. Probably no passage in Scripture than Psalm 19 better describes Francis of Assisi. He, why is that beeping? Can you advance the slide, Alan? I don't know what I'm doing wrong, I'm, and I'm sure it's me. <laughs> Francis of Assisi. Okay, go ahead and advance it one more, so we'll just have that slide, yeah. Um, he wrote a, a work that I'll look at here in a minute, Brother Sun, Sister Moon. He saw God's glory in creation. Um, when he was a kid, he was just a little dandy, handsome. His dad was rich. He was a cloth merchant. And uh, he loved to dress well in bright clothing, spent money lavishly. Um, he was working in his father's cloth-selling booth as a child. A beggar came to him asking for a little help. And Francis was working with a customer and, and said, Be gone because, you know, I have to do my dad's business here. Well, he was ridden with guilt. And he, when he finished with the customer, he ran after the guy, just this little kid, and he emptied his pockets and just gave him everything that he had worth money to this man because he felt so bad. This was a spiritual stirring that he was beginning to feel inside. When Francis was older, when he was in his 20s, uh, he did a few stints in military outfits for Italy and continued to live the spoiled rich kid life. But on one military assignment in France, Francis experienced what he would later refer to as a strange vision. It really shook him. It caused him to rethink how he was living out his personality. He no longer had a heart for joining his friends in sporting events that ended up in carousing with women. And after several years, he began, when people began to ask if he ever planned to marry, he would start saying this same cryptic answer to everybody, yea, a fairer bride than any of you have ever seen. All right? So Francis joined a group of beggars on a pilgrimage to Rome, and he spent many hours going out to lonely places to be with God. And he not only prayed, he listened, which is an important discipline that Tim has been training us to do. And uh, I think in the fall, you're planning on kind of rekindling that and, and helping us build that inner self that hears Jesus. One day, he had another vision. He, he was in this crumbling country chapel in San Damiano, just outside Assisi. And he saw up on the crucifix Jesus Christ speaking to him. The icon said to him, Francis, Francis, go and repair my church, which, as you can see, is falling into ruins. Well, he took this to mean the ruined church building that he was presently praying in. So he went to his father's business, didn't ask dad, just took some cloth, and sold it and took the money to the priest who worked at that chapel. The priest heard how he got the money and refused to accept it. He said, those are ill-gotten gains. You may not." So he just threw the coins on the floor and left. He went back home, but he didn't go home. <laughs> he knew what was waiting at home because dad would find out the cloth had been stolen. So he went and lived in a cave outside the city, but dad found him anyway and dragged him back, beat him senseless for being so careless with his 
stock of cloth, and then he locked him in a shed. Well, later, Dad went to uh, San Damiano to get his money back, okay, from the, the priest. And when he was gone, Mom let Francis out of the shed. And when Dad got home, he went straight to the city council and officially disowned Francis to keep him from touching a penny of his money, including his inheritance. Francis heard about that and disowned his father. He said, I don't want anything from you. Okay, literally, anything. Dad said, what about the clothes you're wearing? He took off the clothes. He was stark naked there in the middle of town, and he walked out of town buck naked. And some people say it was uh, one of the, the local bishops that ran after him and gave him his own cloak. Other accounts say he found an old ragged cloak on a scarecrow and just took that. But either way, Francis was free from that moment from having to answer to his father. So he lived in the hills outside of Assisi, and he begged for his meals, but he hadn't forgotten that vision that he had had. And Jesus' specific commission became the focus of his life. He could not get anyone to help him rebuild the chapel, so he went to Assisi and just begged for stones. And people would give him stones from time to time. And he would go back one stone at a time to rebuild that church. And he did. He, he actually, he learned the skills he needed as he went. And uh, he, th there were worship services there. And he was especially moved by worship services that focused on the Great Commission. And at that point, uh, he believed that that was really what he should be doing. A friend of mine, a Christian, asked me one time, do you think that applies to us, the Great Commission? And I told him, the Great Commission is not the first time God had concern for people outside his people. He has always been concerned. That was the point of Israel, to be a light to the Gentile. The Great Commission is just continuing that desire for God. I love Francis Chan puts it, uh, God did not create a mission for the church. God created a church to follow his mission that he already had. It's been going on from the beginning. So Francis wasn't officially tonsured, and yet he was going out fulfilling the Great Commission. And that was a problem for the church because you had to be an official monk or a priest to be able to fulfill the Great Commission because you had to be trained. Well, Francis was neither. He wore an old ragged cloak like a monk, but he, his hair wasn't the tonsured look. He didn't care about his haircut. So one, uh, one legend holds, it, he, if there weren't any people around, he would actually preach to animals, they said. And one legend holds that there was this wolf that was harassing a village, and he preached to the wolf and made a deal with the wolf that if he'd stop harassing the village, they'd give him food regularly. So they did, and he stopped harassing the village, and they say he converted the wolf. So the church leaders appreciated his zeal, but what he was doing was actually illegal. And so they took him in and uh, tonsured him and, and trained him so that now he went out and did the exact same thing, but now it was legal for him to do that. So... <clears throat> Francis took the gospel to, literally, to other nations. He joined the Fifth Crusade to Jerusalem. Uh, according to some accounts, he, he didn't convert 
a Muslim, he didn't have a sword or anything except the sword of the Spirit, okay, the Bible. And he didn't have any kind of armor except the spiritual armor that Paul talks about. But he went over to the enemy's side, according to some stories, and uh, didn't convert the Muslim leader, but on the deathbed of that Muslim leader, he had a deathbed conversion. The church officials were really concerned about the people who were following Francis because there was no particular rule that Francis had other than fulfill God's commission. Go and preach the word. So they sort of came up with rules for those who followed Francis. And today we call them Franciscan monks, those who follow the rule of Francis. Um, he had another vision. I'm not going to go into that because we're running short on time. Let me skip down to the Song of the Sun. This is the one that's kind of like Psalm 19. And I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's kind of long, and I don't know the tune, so I'm just going to say the words. It goes like this. Praised be you, my Lord, through sister moon and the stars in heaven. You formed them clear and precious and beautiful. Praise be you, my Lord, through brother wind and through the air, cloudy and serene, and every kind of weather through which you give sustenance to your creatures. Notice here, he's not glorifying nature. That's just the creation of God. He's glorifying God by looking at his creation. Praised be you, my Lord, through sister water, which is very useful and humble and precious and chaste. Praised be you, my Lord, through brother fire, through whom you light the night. And he is beautiful and playful and robust and strong. And you hear that and you think, what kind of yo-yo preaches to wolves and makes songs about nature like that? That's the beauty of the different personality types. You don't have to be like Francis of Assisi to be able to glorify God. He was zealous in using his personality for God. That's what we can learn from him. The other person I want to talk about is a very different cut of personality. This man was quiet. He was large. He was six foot four and kind of a, a close to three, six foot five, sorry, um, 300 pounds, just a bull of a man and didn't talk much. And so in college, they just assumed he was dumb. They called him the dumb ox. They played a trick on him one time, Thomas Aquinas, in college. They said, hey, Thomas, come over here and look at the pigs flying out the window. And he got up and he ran over and looked up out the window. And they just laughed at him and ridiculed him. And he said, my brothers, I would rather believe that pigs can fly than my brothers would lie to me. And so, you know, that was a mic drop opportunity right there. But this, the second story I want to share with him, because we really don't have time to go into his life, he was a brilliant man. He wrote something called the Summa Theologica, which is the sum of what the Catholic Church believes, basically, everything they believe. <clears throat> he didn't finish it. And people, his friends, came to him and said, why aren't you going to finish your book before you die? And he said, my brothers, it's all straw. That's not the kind of stuff you want to build on, according to Scripture. We don't build on straw, we build on rock-solid foundations. And what he was writing, he realized, didn't matter one whit. So that kind of sums up the man. Very different 
than, Thomas, uh, than uh, Francis of Assisi. Francis of Assisi I would call a feeler. Thomas Aquinas was more of a thinker. And you remember Charlemagne, he, he was more of a doer. Okay, so you've got different types of people in the same kingdom of God. Now, in truth, everybody has a little bit of a feeler, thinker, and a doer inside them. Okay, it's just whichever one kind of shines most in your life. My personality type, I have a lot of trouble remembering names, and I've learned I have to write it down if I want to remember it. Sally's personality type is just the opposite. She has this uh, exhaustive library catalog of cards with all the people. She knows who you're the brother of, the sister of. He, she knows who's pregnant, who's not pregnant. I can't even remember my own students' names when I see them in Walmart. So it, it's, it's so opposite, and opposites attract, we know that. But God doesn't call us to change that personality. He calls us to use that personality to his glory. So let me ask you a question here. First of all, what do you think are some strengths of the, say somebody's a thinker, okay? How could a thinker use his personality for the glory of God? I'm saying, say it again. Think about how to serve others. I didn't think about that, yeah. Come up with ideas for how to serve God. That's good. All right. Good. Instead of passing the mic, I'm just going to repeat what everybody says. So she's saying, go deep into the Word of God. The thinker can do that. The thinker knows how to dive deeper maybe than, than most people who read that same scripture and can see things in that that he needs to then share with others when he's able to do that. What about the feeler? Or I'm sorry, go ahead. What about the feeler? Your husband's a thinker, so... Uh, and yeah, he's... he's <clears throat> and, and I'll tell you something that you may not know. Most preachers are thinkers. Most preachers are not... You know, you're all looking at Tim. <laughs> most, most preachers are not naturally gregarious people. They don't naturally like to intermingle with other people. At a party, they might be the one sitting in the corner, you know, just kind of reading a book or something. And Tim, I'm not saying you're that way, but most preachers tend to be that way. All right, the feeler. What about the feeler? How can the feeler personality use that personality to the glory of God? Pam. Good, good. They're not, the feeler is not afraid when they see somebody having a wild emotional explosion. They're okay with that because they've been there. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, we become one mind when we deny ourselves, and that's, that's the point I'm making. Our mind is the same as Jesus's. Our personality stays the same, and then we learn how to use our personality. Like, I don't get new fingers and thumbs when I submit to Christ. 
I have the same fingers and thumbs. But now they do different things. Okay? So because I've submitted to him. Your personality is the same way. What about the doer? What can the doer bring to the kingdom of God to, to glorify God? Humble themselves. Good. Pam. To be open-minded, to be willing. That's a good one. Because the doer is the one who's likely to be the one to move the pews or to visit the person in the hospital. The doer is all about fulfilling God's commission and going out. And when he sees somebody that doesn't know Christ, do you go to church anywhere? How's your relationship or how's your spiritual life going these days? You know, that kind of thing. That's the doer. He's, he's out doing things. Yes. Good, good. He's saying the example of Jesus washing his, the feet. He was showing them what to do. Jesus used different examples in his ministry to show people who are doers, to show people who are feelers, and to show people who are thinkers how to live out their spirituality, how to give glory to God without changing their personality that God gave them. So I want to make sure we understand I'm not talking about chosen lifestyles. I'm not talking about uh, people who have uh, decided that they're going to rebel against God by living this way. That is not the personality of the person. The personality of the person is the one that God gave you. You know your personality. Use it for the glory of God.